0: ready to keep you company wherever you are card blanche the podcast brings you immersive hard-hitting stories anytime anywhere every week another week another slightly extended episode of the whole week wrap with daily maverick and card blanche here's what we're chatting about today is press freedom under attack, why three major developments have us concerned. The reason why it's important for the public is because if this had been successful, the implication would have been huge and dire, not only for press freedom, but general access to information. Business leaders pull up their sleeves and put up their hand to help fix the country. And what the previous public protector interviews can teach us going into the new selection process. Turn up the volume and get ready for this week's News Wrap. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. I'm your host, Lasagne Anse van Rensburg, and joining me today is the managing editor at Daily Maverick, Janet Hurd. Janet, how are you doing? Good, thanks.
1: A bit cold, but it's good to be
0: out and good to see the rain. Yes, definitely. And I mean, it's it's also been lovely having a week of little to no load shedding for some. I mean, I almost don't know what to do with all of this electricity.
1: <laughs> so it's almost like you look at your app and can't believe that,
0: you know, no load shedding. I'm not complaining. I'm, I want to make it clear to ESCOM, I'm not complaining. So let's get into our first story or stories. They're all sort of related. Um, and the first is with regards to press freedom. And I mean, it's been a big week for press freedom in South Africa. First, there was a very concerning gag order against ground up. Then it was revealed that the hugely important Lady R inquiry was set to happen behind closed doors. But on the upside, we had Jacob Zuma's failed private prosecution against Karen Morn and Billy Downer. Would you say that we're entering a time where press freedom will come under attack more often in South Africa?
1: Nazan, yes, I think this week has been a turbulent week with some real victories for press freedom too, but some really quite shocking, startling cases that have been put before us. The fact that the Committee to Protect Journalists and International Body actually released, I think, two statements relating to issues around press freedom in South Africa just in one week is quite telling as well. Generally, there's a renewed interest in South Africa for probably all the wrong reasons. And one of the issues that is now focused on media freedom, we have a strong Constitution and press freedom in this country and we've had since democracy that is one thing we have safeguarded but these incidents have really put the spotlight on the potential to have this derailed and I think the most scary for me well in fact they all are Zuma's private prosecution attempt with Karen Morn was obviously really really worrying but a very big victory this week so we can actually say it was a green shoot this week that the yes. private prosecution was turned down and rejected but then the Moti incident with ground up, you know, having to rush to court because of a secret order obtained in chambers and actually managed to get that at least lifted with the bigger case still to come. So that's still pending. But that was a big victory because that was the most chilling thing that somebody mm. could attempt to go behind secret doors and get a court order. And mm. then the Lady R. Secrecy, you know, first reporting on it uh, two weeks ago, there was a, a relief that. This inquiry was being set up by the president. There was an initial relief that this is happening and that there would be two months to report back and then the alert that in fact it's not going to be made public. That is Mm. going to be seriously challenged. I can't see it actually playing out. I do think it will be released some way or other and I can't see any reasonable head of state not being prepared to release the findings. So we hopefully that will not be as sinister as it does sound.
0: Mm. And I just i to take us back to the Karen Morn, Billy Downer, Zuma matter. For those who might not understand why the judgment in Zuma's private prosecution case is so important, could you maybe summarize it for those who maybe are not grasping the gravity of this case?
1: The case really was a simple case of access to documents by Karen about the medical records of the former president, Jacob Zuma. For years, he's been trying to stave off and prevent this arms deal case. Which has been playing out in the Maritzburg court for oh, decades, virtually. So he's been using what we call Stalin tactics to try and prevent the case from going ahead. And so this attempt to privately prosecute, it's fairly unprecedented in this country. So it was significant on that level, not only to privately prosecute Karen, but also the prosecutor in the case, Billy Downer. So the two cases were running, you know, they were, the two of them were together. So the reason why it's important for the public is because if this had been successful, the implication would have been huge and dire. Not Only for press freedom, but general access to information. And it it, it sort of falls in the realm of what we're calling slap suits, which are Mm -hmm. designed to silence journalists who are perceived to report in the public interest. So there was a broader implication for this, bearing in mind also that there was a a campaign against Karen running on social media Mm -hmm. at the same time where she was called a thing, a bitch, a lying bitch, a white bitch, a witch, a racist, a pig. You know, it went on and on and on terribly hurtful comments that Karen had to endure through the months when this case was pending, the chilling effect that that can have on journalism and journalists can also really reduce the level of public access to information. So there was so much at stake with this case. So it was a real, real victory in the high court. Of course, Zuma's lawyers have said that they will challenge it and Mm. take it to a higher court. But for now, it's a victory in that there was an attempt by holding the president accountable for his conduct. And and it it has remained now in the public domain. It was found that the, the medical records which Karen had access to were actually before court anyway. She didn't have secret documents. The documents were actually before court.
0: Yeah. I just want to wrap up this segment with words written by Karen Mourn on News 24, just days after the High Court judgment, which I think it really speaks to the spirit of perseverance of our journalists. And she wrote, I would like to write that despite the worst intentions of those who have harassed and threatened me, I remain unscathed. But that would not be true. I have been damaged by this. It is hard to write these words down because when I say them, they feel like an admission of failure. That by me conceding that the last nine months have made me a smaller and more battered and anxious version of myself i will be admitting that those who tried to silence me have won except they did not i mean if that's not just a summary of this entire case and what it stands for
1: absolutely Lizanne. i mean that the column she wrote afterwards does show a degree of courage to keep on and i think this is the wider lesson is that journalism it's just people journalists are just more mm-hmm. People and, and, and the chilling effect that threats and abuse can have with powerful people, we mustn't ever underestimate that. People in newsrooms are aware of how it can actually lead to self-censorship. There are issues that are very real around journalism mm-hmm. that must never lose sight of the personal nature of this. And I think Karen did express that about the, the level at which she had to find the strength to push on. And I think that is a, an important part of the story and the camaraderie of journalists, and not just journalists, the public. And also, I think we need to pay a tribute to the lawyers in this case, who also really fought a good battle. Karen had the support of, of SANF and various media freedom bodies in the case. So there was a real galvanizing effort against this attempt by Zuma to privately prosecute a journalist.
0: A cholera outbreak, load shedding, water outages, potholes. And to top it all, an economy on the edge. But the private sector has put up its hand to help find solutions and, more importantly, act. Several JSE top 40 executives have been called upon by President Cyril Ramaphosa to help tackle the country's energy crisis, rising crime and transport issues. Janet tells us more. Now, onto infrastructure matters, and there's never a shortage of these stories, so there's a lot to cover. I want to start off with something slightly more positive, and I mean, you raised this as well. Last week, there was an encouraging article on Daily Maverick written by Ray Mashlaka. I mean, we've also had him on the show a few times now on a collaboration between business leaders and government to find solutions to our ever-growing list of problems. I know you were eager to chat about this, so can you tell us a bit more about this? I think this was an example of
1: business and government working together where you roll up your sleeves, you know, because business have been warning government and saying, you know, we can't do our business anymore. Things are coming to an absolute state of collapse and throwing up their hands in the air. But now they've actually rolled up their sleeves and some CEOs are getting involved in quite a comprehensive plan, which has been seen like as a Marshall Plan. And it comes obviously also against the backdrop of renewed interest in South Africa across the globe in terms of news. I mean, it comes at a time where almost if we didn't do anything, we really were on the skids. So I think this is a green shoot. I think there's a lot of interest in South Africa at the moment. I mean, I'm just noting that the BBC programme Hard Talk has had Julius Malema and Fakili Mbalula on in the last weeks, and then this week had Jonathan Shapiro, the cartoonist. So it just shows you how the focus is everyone in the globe is actually looking to South Africa. Can you actually pull yourselves out of this situation? Obviously, the war in Europe is one of the big issues that have brought it into focus. But our need to sort out our infrastructure against the backdrop of Frank Chukani, who's running the Integrity Commission of the ANC, actually saying he doesn't want to live in a, a gangster state and he is going to make sure that the ANC pulls itself out of this downward slide as well. And that was very strong comments. By Frank Chikani that's on a party level. So I think we are seeing signs of recognizing it's upwards, or the, or the downward trend is really going to be perilous. So we've got to roll up our sleeves and get going. So that business plan, I think, is a very interesting. It's very complicated plan. It's you know got a lot of work streams. How they're going to deliver structural reforms? that's around load shedding, crime and corruption, and infrastructure. Very key sectors of South Africa, which can help to pull us right and obviously load shedding is one of the biggest things that impacts right across all sectors and I was struck by a comment by the head of the presidency's project management he said put me in front of a wall and shoot me if it's not sorted out in the next two years said really Mm -hmm. about load shedding so that is uh, I suppose a green shoot but of course we must be aware that there's an election coming up next year so there will be a lot of promises and a lot of attempts to show that we're solving our problems so we need to really be very very careful that in fact this is more more than just noise, that this is actually something that we can hold the government to account to sort out. So the spirit of the CEO intervention, well, it's not only the CEOs, it's business generally, but also including CEOs who have been very critical of the government now actually saying we've got to sit up and we will try and join forces to tackle the crisis. It's along the lines of what happened during the COVID pandemic where government and business joined up and it was a successful project of working together.
0: Just as suspended public protector Busisiwe Mkubane was set to answer some difficult questions in her ongoing Section 194 impeachment inquiry, the process was once again marred by delays and wild accusations. From Mkobane's continuous insistence on the recusal of committee chair Kubudile Dianti to allegations of bribery levelled against the late Tina Jumat-Peterson. It was yet another start stop week. And as Mkwebane's term is set to end in October, Janet has a few words of wisdom to the ad hoc committee tasked with finding our new public protector. We have to touch on the public protector hearing that resumed last week. It was once again off to a bumpy start with more delays and then there were wild claims being made. Have you been following the latest developments and uh, what stood out for you?
1: It just feels so time consuming. And so there's just so much going on in that public protector commission of inquiry into her impeachment which is going to come to an end in October. She's obviously trying to delay as long as possible so that her term, you know, ends without a finding. That is very clear. And last week when the hearing finally uh, resumed, it it stopped within the day. There were delays once again, fighting over lawyers um, and access. And so that's been that stop-start from, from the beginning. Lots of just attempts to derail the the inquiry, which has dragged on for months. And it was resuming on Friday after, you know, you know, really only sitting for a few hours in one day in the week. And then it got caught up with the death of Tina Juma peterson who had been accused of trying to accept a bribe to close in terms of the inquiry. So the whole thing has just become so messy. It's all about her impeachment. The public protector has now made these bribery claims. And we're going to have to see it play out. But I find it a very, I mean, it's been amusing. I mean, there's been some incredible, it's almost theatre in there. My colleague, Marianne Tam, has been covering it relentlessly through the months. An incredible body of work that she has got on this, as as a lot of other journalists have, in terms of what actually can take place in that inquiry. It would be amusing if it wasn't so damaging and so worrying mm. about South Africa and what's actually happening with the public protector's office. So at the end of the day, in October, we're going to have a new public protector anyway.
0: The hunt for our next public protector is officially now underway. Do you think the ad hoc committee will be more vigilant about who they appoint in this vital role? Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering how this all impacts the committee's approach in appointing the next public protector.
1: Well, I was actually based in Parliament when there were interviews for the public protector after Tuli and Sela was exiting. It was a very a painstaking, long process, very public process for the first time. Mm-hmm. Interviews, though, dragged through the night. I remember there were some all-nighters. They were rushing to get the timetable through. The public protector Busisiwe Mkobani, came across very well in the interview. She came across incredibly calm and confident, and she did well in the interview. But then, as the process continued, as the shortlist drew up, I think it was first the DA that raised the alarm bell about you know the spying links. But the voting still went through the National Assembly, and she was it was passed, and she became the public protector. So I think vigilance is is definitely important. I don't think that the parliamentary process should be rushed as much as it was perhaps. Through the night getting tired, I do think the parliamentary process could tighten up there and make things congenial to actually have a proper robust to and fro because they did feel like they were trying to cram all these interviews in. There were, I forget how many, but there were a lot of candidates. But in retrospect, you know, I think the process was a good one, but it clearly, you know, has been a very fraught one. Hopefully there will be some lessons learned.
0: In 2021, the World Bank ranked the South African Auditor General as one of only two national audit offices in the world that were wholly independent. This means the office is free of political interference, enabling this vital body to properly hold various government institutions accountable. Now, three years into her seven-year term, we celebrate Auditor General Tsakani Maluleke's kind but firm approach towards fixing our many crumbling municipalities. Right, so let's get into some good news. The World Bank ranked South Africa's Auditor General Tsakani Maluleke as one of two national audit offices that has, quote, full independence. This puts us on a list of just two, that's South Africa and the Seychelles. Maluleke has been doing amazing work.
1: Absolutely, Lizanne. She she's rolled up her sleeve. She's calmly doing her job. She's in her third year of a seven-year term, so we've still got another four years of her, which is good to know. <laughs> and and I think that she, you know she's done a great job as head of South Africa's state-run auditing office. The fact that it was recognised by the World Bank, I think, in twenty twenty-one, she's only shown to be even greater. She's gone on to deliver her audit reports, and she delivered them in the last two weeks. Obviously, she's doing a really tough job, and sadly, she's doing, in some ways, the outcomes of her work are very, very worrying. The fact that we've gone from 41 clean audits from last year to just 30 out of 257 municipalities in the country, but she is quietly just putting the spotlight on these municipalities. She had red flagged Chwani, she had red flagged a lot of the, the municipalities that we see now with, with carrying big infrastructure problems. And I think we should, as a country, take more notice of these AG reports because I think that is also part of her job, the educational role, and for the country to actually take notice and actually connect the dots of when there are problems in municipalities and
0: why that's it for today's show thank you so much janet for joining me it's been lovely chatting to you thank you lizanne awesome have a lovely week ahead Cheers. and that's a wrap in case you missed any of our previous chats with daily maverick you can find them all on carte blanche the podcast available on spotify and all major podcasting platforms